Uh, if you would, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Mark 6 is where we're going to be today. That's the New Testament. If you aren't familiar with your Bible, you can always turn to the uh, table of contents right there at the front. Any kids who are with me know that I always point us to the table of contents in case you don't know where you're going. Mark chapter 6, big number 6, is where we're going to be today. Uh, we have been talking already in this service several times, and I'm sure you have too, talked a little bit about New Year's resolutions. I am not much one for New Year's resolutions because I perennially cannot keep them. It doesn't matter what they are or how passionate I think I am about them in December and January. By February, it's over. And then I feel discouraged and like I'm never going to get back to this, so let's just leave it alone. And so I've just decided New Year's resolution for the last five or so years is no New Year's resolutions, and that's going to continue this year. Uh, but I do think that New Year's is a great time to turn around and look back. What did this previous year, like what happened? Uh, I've got a couple of boys. How have they grown? How's my family changed? How's my marriage changed? These are good things to look back on because there's a lot to appreciate, right? And there's also sometimes a lot to, to look back and mourn over. As I've been scrolling through social media, hearing people talk, 2022 was a doozy, y'all. Like, anybody have a hard year in 2022? I had a hard 2020 year. Uh, 2022. It was, it was the kind of year where in, uh, early in the year, my wife broke her foot and couldn't walk on it for three months. And now she still hurts, but she can at least walk. But it was that kind of thing where you're trying to raise a four-year-old and a two-year-old with a parent and a half, and that's no good. Uh, if you are a parent of young kids, then you know this year, like every sickness that you get is going to roll into a new sickness, is going to roll into the next sickness, and the next, and like there wasn't a clean month for us. We didn't make it a whole, probably a whole three weeks that somebody in our family didn't pick up the next flu, the next uh, stomach virus, whatever it was. It was a hard year. And that's just my family. Like I know in your family, in our church family, We've had a lot of people lose family, loved ones. We've had other people going through surgery that is just as complicated and the, the recovery is just as long. We've had uh, just hard relationships. Y'all know people are hard. Have you ever felt that? Like the people that you work with, the people that you're around, the people in your family, we're just hard people to be around. And by the end of the year, you get weighed down by it all. When you look back and you see the fights that you had or the disagreements or the things that are still going on, you're like, God. That was a hard year. There's a lot going on, and that's just like in this room. And we could get out into what's happening in the bigger world, and I really don't want to. I stopped watching the news for that reason, because there's just too much. And in, it makes me think back to the last quarter of 2019. In, the last, in about October, November of 2019, I, I'm, I'm a kind of guy who I don't trust my emotions. I don't like them. I don't like to talk about them. I don't like to feel them. But the reality is I feel them, and I feel them a lot. And in 2019, I was feeling a lot of emotions. I was confused, I was angry, I was disappointed, I was frustrated, and a million different things, like every part of my life. It felt like there was just this onslaught of this is too hard, and I don't know how to solve it, and I can't communicate clearly, and it's just a little too much. And I, it, was just a, it was a hard time for me, and I, I heard a recommendation of a band called The Mountain Goats, and uh, the Mountain Goats are a band that I wouldn't really recommend to you. They're not that good, I don't think. I didn't like them when I heard them. But there's one song that really stuck out to me in this year, 2019. It was the song is called This Year. And it's all about this kid who's in a fight with his parents and his step-parent over uh, a girlfriend that he has. And it's very teenager-esque. I mean, it's, it's very immature. But it, the chorus just says over and over, 
I am going to make it through this year if it kills me. And let me tell you, in 2019, there wasn't a song I sang in the shower more than I am going to make it through this year if it kills me. Because it just felt terrible. And then let me tell you what happened. 2019 turned into 2020, and about the third week of March, COVID hit. And then everything got really hard. Like we were stuck at home, and every argument that I was going to have with my wife, there was no escape from it because we couldn't go anywhere. And my kid, who was two at the time and had a ton of energy, all of it was going to boil over at me because I couldn't send him to school, and there was nothing we could go do. It was just harder. And then right about the same time, can I tell you what? We found out we were pregnant. And that, like, makes things three times as hard. It just seemed like time after time, it was thing after thing that kept rolling over me, and it just kept getting harder. And I didn't get a chance to take a breath, and I didn't get to say, this is too much for me. God, what are you doing? What's happening right now? And there are a lot of people that may be the way that you feel coming out of 2022. You're looking back and you said, this person in my family died, or this fight's going on, and this with our money's not working right, and there's just too much. And it's entirely possible that we get into 2023 and a new wave of COVID comes back, apparently. Or maybe the war in Ukraine becomes a bigger deal than it is right now. Or I don't know what it is. But doesn't it always just feel like there's another something right around the corner? Even if you've had a really good year, it might feel like you're in a strong place, like God's been working in you. Like maybe you're praying for your kid that something will change and this, this thing happens and they get a new mentor or something and their life grows. And you're like, oh, okay, this is good. But doesn't it always feel like life's ready to throw something at you right when you get settled in? And that's kind of the way it can feel when we get to a new year is I got done with that and now I'm ready. And maybe you feel like you've got your knuckles clenched and your teeth are set and you're, you're ready. You, come on, God, show me what you got. 2023, I'm ready. And you got this attitude, like you're bowing up your chest at God and saying, look, it doesn't matter. I know it's going to be hard. I know it's not going to feel good. I can do this. I can make it through. And I feel like that. Like, like that's my natural response when things seem to go wrong. But is that really the way that God intends us to respond to that kind of situation? Can that possibly be how God wants us to feel, how God wants us to respond to him? I don't think so. And so today we're going to look at this passage in Mark chapter 6. We're actually going to look at two different sections. One of the stories I know you've heard, and one of them you may not have heard that much, but they're supposed to be read together, I think. And so today we're going to look at these. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 6. And it's a place where we see Jesus walking with his disciples through a period just like this, where the waves keep coming and things keep hitting, and instead of bowing up and clenching their teeth and shaking their fist, Jesus says, here's how you respond when life is too much, when the next year seems like I can't make it through this year. Let's begin in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 6. It says, He went about and among the villages teaching, and he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to put, not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. So, that, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. 
So this first chunk of story, I think is really important because it helps us understand a relationship that we need to be mindful of that we have with Jesus, which is disciple and student, or disciple and teacher. When I talk to you about the 12 disciples, we we sometimes call them apostles because later on they do some more things, but at first we talk about them a lot as 12 disciples when I talk about them with kids. But disciple is a very church word, and you got to change that out for the word that it means, which is student. Jesus is walking around uh, in the first five chapters of Mark, and he's showing his disciples, his students, what it means to follow God, what it looks like to be in right relationship with the Father. And that, for him, looks like healing people, casting out demons. Uh, He is doing all sorts of miracles. Just a couple of uh, paragraphs back, Mark relates the story of Jesus calming a storm, changing the weather. And so Jesus' students are looking at their teacher and saying, this guy is amazing. He's out of this world. And the craziest thing that happens in Mark chapter 6 is not that he does some other miracle. That's pretty normal for Jesus. What's crazy is he then charges them to go out and do the same. Now, for students and teachers, this is pretty normal. Like when you learned addition in school, your teacher went up to the blackboard and she drew two plus two equals five, right? And you said, okay, I can do that. So you write it down on your paper and now you know how addition works. But this isn't a classroom, is it? Jesus isn't saying, all right, guys, let's, let's go back to the seminary and everybody get your desks and your pen and your paper and, and let's sit down and, and everybody's going to write an essay on what it means to follow Jesus. Everybody take out your copy of the Ezekiel scroll and we're going to dissect the way that this looks and how it works. It's not what Jesus does. He doesn't give them safety and security. He says, go. Go into the various towns around us. Don't take any extra money. Don't take extra clothes. All the things back then that were really important for people wandering around from town to town, basically homeless. Jesus says, don't carry it with you. Just go. And when you get there, your charge is to tell people about who I am and the things that I've been showing you, and you're going to do the same thing. The disciples had to hear that and go, Jesus, are you serious? Like, I can be nice to somebody. I can love my neighbor, but casting out demons, healing sick people, this all sounds a lot, Jesus. But they just saw him calm the storm. They've been following him a while, so maybe they've got some trust, and that's what they do. They go out, and very nonchalantly, I love the way that they write it here in, in verse, uh, verse 12. It says, very nonchalantly, they went out, proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out demons and anointed many people with oil who were sick and healed them, period. Like, I want to write an exclamation point there. I want to draw a circle around it and say, what is happening? Imagine, it's not like Jesus does a miracle here. Imagine that Will Harris goes out into Starrett and heals somebody. Don't you think we'd have something to say about it? What if Jared Anderson goes into work and proclaims the gospel to his co-workers and thousands of people fell on their knees and repented? Don't you think the people at Double Oak Chelsea might throw a little party about that? Of course we would, but the Bible says, and they cast out many demons and anointed them with oil and were sick and they were healed. Like it's just normal. But if you're those people, imagine yourself, you're a disciple of Jesus, and you've been following around, you've seen him do all these amazing things, and now he says, I'm putting my spirit in you, you go out and do it. How would they feel? Their hearts racing. 
They are excited. God is working powerful miracles through them. How cool. And I'm sure they were excited. I'm sure they had a lot of energy about it. And they did all that they were supposed to do. It says they go out, they do the things, they accomplish their task, and now we're going to skip down. There's this story in the middle about John the Baptist being killed. Uh, We won't read that today because there's lots of kids here. Uh, But down in verse 30, here's where it picks up. The story comes back. Jesus and his disciples have uh, appointed a time we're going to get back together. You guys go out, do this stuff, come back to me. Very teacher and student. Do your work and then bring it back to me and we'll talk about how things went. So the disciples, they come back to Jesus and they are pumped. It worked, Jesus. It happened just like you said. And they are excited, but they're also worn out. They've been walking all over the countryside. They've been going from house to house, no place to lay their head. And they've been doing all this work. Their adrenaline was pumping. You had an adrenaline crash before. You know how it feels. They are worn out. These guys are tired. But take a look at what happens next. You think they think they're going to get an attaboy. Great job. You accomplished it. You did what I asked. Your faith must be so strong. They must be thinking, we're going to get some new instruction. We'll take some time, another couple of months walking around with Jesus, and then we'll get to go out and, I don't know, fly spaceships. But this is what happens instead. Look at verse 30 now. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place. Rest a while. For many were coming and going. They had no leisure even to eat. They went away in the desolate boat by themselves. But then in 33, things go off the rails. Many saw them going, recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Now, if you're just paying attention to Jesus, this is very Jesus. Jesus loves to get out of the boat and teach. And he sees this giant crowd who's run ahead to where they're going to, like they're going across the lake, and they see the boat going, and the crowd runs over there. And Jesus gets out of the boat, and because Jesus loves, Jesus steps out of the boat, and he begins to teach. But do you know what the disciples' job was when Jesus was teaching? It's crowd control. Y'all need extra seats? Come on over here. There's extra. I know you don't want to sit in the front row, but this is the only place where the chairs are. Come sit down here. You need to know where the bathrooms are? Come right this way. We've got the latrine dug back here. Come over here. Uh, You need tissues. They're right down here. Come this way. Oh, Jesus, do you need a bottle of water? Here's one for you. The guys are running around. They've got more work to do because these thousands of people showed up. And just when they needed a break, just when they thought they were going to get congratulated, just when things were going so well, Life throws a curveball and says, nope, no rest right now. Get back to work. That's pretty hard. But that's not where it stops. Look at verse 35. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. They have had it. Jesus It's like 12.30 at night, bud. Send these people home. It's time for dinner, bud. There's no food out here. The nearest Wendy's is closed because it's New Year's Eve and everything closes at 7. Don't you know, if these people are stuck out here with us, we're all going to go crazy. 
Hundreds and hundreds of people will die. Thousands of people will die at the feet of this great teacher because nobody had any food. Jesus, send them home. Let's get some sleep. But Jesus has the gall. Take a look at verse 37. He answered them, you give them something to eat. What? I'm not ready for that right now, Jesus. The Bible says a little bit later there are 5,000 men here. That's just the men. So it's probably closer to a crowd of 10,000 people, women and children. And he says, you give them something to eat. Jesus, I don't know if you know, but I was already running on fumes. I was tired before we crossed the lake. And there was nobody here. And now we've been doing the crowd control thing for a couple hours while you sat on the ground and teached, taught. And now I am worn out, Jesus. Forget the fact that this is impossible. Forget the fact that I don't have food for 10,000 people, Jesus. I don't have the strength for your riddles anymore. Have you felt this? Maybe there's been a time in your life where something went really great in your faith. You, you realized there was a sin in your heart, and maybe you've been covering it up, but God convicted you, and He gave you courage, and He gave you a heart for the truth, and you confessed, and it feels great. Maybe there's a person who needs to hear the gospel, and you've been afraid. I don't know the right words to say. I don't, I don't really know them that well. I can't be the one that Jesus is calling on to preach to them. And you go and you tell them about what God's done in your life. And you feel great. Or maybe you're just having a bad year. And the kids have been sick. And you've been having a fight with your wife. And the resources aren't there. And you say, Jesus, what are you talking about? I cannot feed these people. That is a bridge too far. It's not in me to do it. How can this possibly be the way that Jesus calls his disciples to act? How could he have the temerity to say it? You feed them. But he wants them to stop and think for a second. Because Jesus isn't dumb. He knows they don't have any food. A couple of passages back, he said, leave all your food behind. Give away all your... He knows they've got nothing. He told them to have nothing. Could it possibly be that Jesus knows where their heart is? And he's realized that in their heart, even though all these great things happened because of their faith, on the, the backside of those events where they healed the sick, where they cast out the demons, they saw God at work and they said, that was so great that I was able to do that. That because of me, God worked in this place. And instead of seeing God's glory in those moments, they saw their own glory. And their eyes got pulled off of who Jesus is and who he's working them to be. And he brought their eyes to themselves. And now they're in this place where the next wave rolls over and the next ton of bricks falls down. And they said, I don't have the power. And Jesus points at it and says, look, you don't have the power. He says, you feed them because he wants them to see the lunacy of it. 
You can't save your coworker. You can't solve your friend's problems. You can't make, oh, let me tell you what, you cannot make your spouse believe the way that you do. It is just impossible for you to do that. And do you know why? It's because you're a broken human. You are sinful. You have motivations that are all sorts of twisted up and turned around and bent in towards yourself. And you aren't enough. And Jesus is saying to the disciples, you're paying attention to the wrong glory. Turn away from yourself and see that I'm the one acting. As you read through the gospel stories, it's easy to get frustrated with the disciples because they get it wrong a lot. Like over and over and over again, they, they do this thing where they have big mountaintop amazing experiences that if it happened to us, you'd say, there's no way I could not continue on thinking this way. But the reality is, they just have weak faith, and so do we. Because think back about 2022. I'll bet God did some pretty amazing things in your life this year. I'll bet your life is pretty different than it was January last year. Because God has been working in you. God's been working around you and your kids and your parents. And it's so easy for us to get distracted by the the next big thing. Whether it's good or bad. We see the good thing that happens and we say, yeah, that's amazing. I really want that to happen more. And we chase after the thing. Or we see the bad thing that happens and we get bogged down and, and it weighs on us too heavily that we can't even lift our eyes. And in either situation, no matter where you are, Jesus is saying to you and to me, just like he is to the disciples, you can't do it. Don't you know how silly that is? Look in the face of how inadequate you are. That's not a very nice message, is it? But that's what Jesus is saying to them, and that's what he's saying to you and me. As you make plans for 2023, Know that you're not enough. It doesn't matter how big your bank account gets or how small it gets. It doesn't matter if you're able to pay the mortgage all year long. I mean, you want to pay your mortgage. You want your stocks to go up. Of course. But it doesn't matter. Because if you tried to do it all by yourself, the money wouldn't get you the things that you need. The house isn't going to keep you safe from the tornado or the hurricane or COVID, or whatever it is that comes next. Those things are not the foundation that we're needing. Because look what happens. Verse 37, he says, you give them something to eat. And he sa- they say, Jesus, it's not going to work. Verse 38, he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. He commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, taking the two loaves and the fi- or the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And he took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate were five thousand men. If we could get our eyes off ourselves for a second, what would we see? What kind of miracle is this? 
Two fish and five loaves of bread. I don't care if it's the really big ones from Publix. That ain't enough. But Jesus makes it spread. What kind of miracle is that? And it's not like he changed the weather. It's not that kind of miracle. These people just needed some lunch. But Jesus did it. He took what was impossible and he did it. And if we could get our eyes out of our own problems for just a minute, we'd see that and we'd say, there is the power of the Almighty God who when there was nothing, spoke and there was light. That is the glory of the Lord standing right in front of me. When I look at my boys... And I see how God is working in them. It's the glory of the Lord right here. When I hear us sing, how great thou art, it's this room filled with the glory of the Lord. If I could just put my faith in Him instead of in me, The signs are everywhere. He is acting everywhere. If I could just see it. If I could put my eyes on Him, I could have His glory at every moment. Just know where He's leading us to. This is from Revelation uh, chapter 21. This is the vision that Jesus is leading his disciples to. This is the vision that he's leading me and you to. Revelation 21, go back up one slide. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. The sea was no more. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And see this. He said, he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. When I'm bogged down, when I'm weighted down by the burdens, when I see the next wave rolling up and I think it's going to crash over me and I'm going to drown in it and I can't do this anymore, Jesus, if I could just turn my eyes to this vision that is so much greater than the pain, than the the confusion, the frustration that I feel right now. I'd see his glory and have a strength that I've never known. This isn't just pie in the sky. This isn't just cross your fingers, stop thinking about the things that hurt because if you just think about better things, it'll feel good. This is how Jesus calls us to live. This is the process of discipleship. This is what faith does in our lives. As we walk with him, We grow to see his glory more and more. And it grows in us. And it spills out of us into the people next to us. Take a look at this. This It's from uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 3. We all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. This is something for you today. 
Are you worn down? Are you looking ahead and saying, I don't know what's going to happen in 2023, but I know I'm not ready for it. Are you in a place where you're saying, yeah, I think I got this okay. If I just do these things and I I can take care of the big problems. God says, behold my glory. And have it now. Be transformed step by step. Because what Jesus was telling the disciples is, all those moments where you saw me do miracles before were not supposed to make you stronger Christians or more spiritual or smarter or more ready to tackle the next problem. It's just rehearsal because there's going to come another time when you need to have faith in me. And maybe it's a big deal and maybe he casts out thousands of demons and it's a huge deal. It's a rehearsal for the next time I need to know. Maybe it's a little thing. Maybe it's my son singing in the car after church. Just a rehearsal for the next thing. I need to be reminded, moment after moment, glimpse of glory after glimpse of glory, big or small, that there's the finished product on its way. And it's already working in my heart. It's pouring out of my life. It's pouring out of the lives of those around me. It's where I find joy. It's where I find my strength. It's why I have confidence. Because I know I'm not made for this world. I'm made for that world that's coming. That's good news for me. Even when I don't have any more. Even when I'm not enough. So let's pray. God, we acknowledge that we are not enough. And we've seen your glory. We've seen it in our lives. We've seen it in the lives of those around us. And it's tempting to be distracted. It's tempting to uh, be caught up in the way that we feel and the things that are happening. But God, if we could just see your glory, our faith could be secure. So help us. Turn our eyes back to you. Help us to trust you in all things. We know yours is the power that we need. Help us to remember that in that next moment. Amen. Stand, and we're going to sing for just a moment. Be looking ahead. What's happening in 23? Look back. See how God has shown his glory to you. And have faith that he does it every time we go to him. Let's sing.